This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including eBooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. My name is Ari Barbalat. I'm a host on the New Books Network podcast series, and I'm honored to be in dialogue with Ali Jamil, who is the Accountability and Redress Director at Mawatana for Human Rights. Today, we will be discussing the new report that has recently come out by Mawatana for Human Rights called Returned to Zero, the case for reparations to civilians in Yemen. We will be talking with Ali about the contents and context of the report, and we hope this dialogue will be a contribution to awareness about the tragedy unfolding in Yemen today. Ali, thank you for being with us. Thank you very much. Happy to be with you all. Thank you. Ali is joining us from San'a, Yemen, and in that context, I'd like to begin by asking you to please tell us about yourself. Where did you grow up? Were there any formative events in your life that inspired you to become involved in human rights accountability? Were there any aspects of your life or education that planted the seeds for the kind of work you would be doing today? Thank you very much. Uh, I am uh, Ali Jamil. worked for Mwapana for almost... Uh, Six years now. Uh, first, I, I, I came to Muwapana in a position of, uh, like I was working on project management. Then uh, I got involved in the work that Muwapana is doing and uh, I really liked it and believed in it. So uh, I, I, I moved to the research team and uh, started to work on the research team. The research team is responsible of the documentation and the reporting of violations in, uh, in more than 20 governments across Yemen. So uh, I spent two years working in the, in, in the research team, and then um, we had a, an internal discussion in Muwapana that we don't want only to comment on the violations that happened in Yemen, only report on them, but we want to make a bigger difference. That's when we started to have the accountability and redress team. And this team uh, started to work on different available avenues for for accountability. So this team uh, started to study what is possible uh, in terms of accountability for Yemen what is not possible, and started to, to, to work on different avenues like the UN mechanisms, like litigations in different countries, 
third parties accountability in terms of uh, arms exports. So uh, the team with, with, with our international uh, partners filed a complaint in Rome against Rowan Metal for their involvement in uh, war crimes in Yemen. Uh, we also filed um, communication to the Office of the Prosecutor in the ICC. We also filed a case last month in Paris. We intervened also in in UK in in, in the case that uh, uh, campaign against armed trade are moving forward uh, in UK. And uh, we had some several legal actions that we, we have been doing in different areas. So I think uh, the most important uh, event was when, when I started to work in Wakama. So I, like previously, I, I, I used to work on admin work and working in Wakama really made me believe on human rights and uh, the, the, the impact that human rights activists can make. What inspired you and Mawatana to compose this report? What do you hope that readers will gain from it? So working on, on this report started when we when we started to, to hear a lot of claims from different warring parties that they 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 have done some redress related steps. So we started to do some field investigations or some certain cases that we, we, we had some public statements about them. And we reached out to those people to ask them what exactly happened to them, what, what redress uh, they were pro- provided with, uh, what reparations. And uh, the findings were really shocking because what, what different warring parties claim is something and what they actually do is something else. And during these field visits, we have noticed how much reparations are important to people uh, who lost, for example, their houses or the beloved ones or, or a person who is uh, spending money for the family in this difficult economical situation and how much they really need reparation. So we felt that uh we should shed some lights on on what on the responsibility of warring parties on reparations and what actually happened and what we recommend to to happen in the future how is this report unique relative to your other reports by Mawatana? what distinct perspective does this report offer in comparison and contrast with other reports that Mawatana has published? It's similar to other reports in terms of um, reporting on what warring parties have done. It's different maybe because it's first report to, to, to address reparations. So previously we, 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 have, we have had several reports reporting on violations themselves, uh, but we hadn't have a report about what warring parties have done in reaction to the violations that they have committed.
plus the, the report also provide extensive amount of legal research in terms of reparations. Why did you and Mawatana choose the title Returned to Zero? What does the title Returned to Zero mean? And how does it relate to the contents and context of the report? Return to Zero, it was a quote from uh, one of the people that we met. So in the context of explaining what happened to this family, uh, this sentence described how the family uh, felt after they, 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 they were impacted by the violation. So we really like this quote and we, 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 we have chosen it to, to be the title of the report. How long did this report take Mawatana to complete, compile, research, and edit? And edit? What was the preparation process that w- was involved in this report? Uh, it took around two years to work on this report. Um, first, um, as I explained that we, we have field visits to, to check what warring parties have done. So based on the, finding, the findings of the visit, we have started to have an idea about the report, but the outline of the report is still not fixed yet. So we had some internal discussions, plus some follow-up researches, just to make sure that we have the outline that is perfect for this topic. Then we, we, we had... Um, Yale uh, or Lowenstein Clinic from Yale on board on this report. Uh, we, we discussed together the outline of the report. They have started to, to, uh, to help with the drafting of the report, the legal research for the report. Uh, then we had some, some, some gaps in, in, the re- in the previous research. And then we, we made follow-up research for some areas, for example, for non-state actors. And then we had one full version of the report, which went through different levels in Muatana and also in Yale for review, editing. And then we had just the final steps before publishing, like the design, the press release, and the advocacy plan. And we we finally released it. How did you go about conducting interviews for this report? How did you find the interviewees? Uh, Mainly the interviewees were were very angry about how warring parties uh, react um, toward the violations that they have committed. I was really uh, amazed by how much the, the victims and the families uh, believe in law, like for, for people who have been affected in this war and have been in this war for for long time, several years into this war, but they still believe in law. They still believe that accountability will happen one day. They still believe that 
preparations will happen one day. So it was really uh, amazing to me. And uh, at the same time, very inspiring. How long have you personally been involved with, with Mawatana? How did you first begin to work with Mawatana? What roles have you personally played within Mawatana? Uh, I first started to work in Mawatana in 2016. Uh, I worked in the projects and fundraising team. I spent almost a year uh, there. Then I moved to uh, the research team. So during my my uh, my work in the project team, I really got interested in the work of Mawatana. I believed in uh, the impact that human rights movement can can make. And I got involved with the stories of, of ordinary people that Mwapana, uh tries to convey their, their voices and their messages. So uh, the first chance I had to move to the research team, I did. And I spent quite a long time in the research team. Uh, so in the research team, uh, my role was supervising the, 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 the field team who document uh, incidents in, in different governments in Yemen, uh, also draft reports on these violations. So I, in 2019, um, I started to work on the accountability team. And in the accountability team, I was responsible of several projects and several cases, uh, one of which was this report. And last year, I, I uh, started uh, to, to, to lead the accountability team. What is the relationship between Mawatana and the Lowenstein International Human Rights Clinic at Yale University Law School. What role did the Lowenstein Clinic play in bringing your reports into fruition? How did your relationship with the Lowenstein Clinic begin and evolve? So uh, the, 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 the accountability team has some good relationships with different legal and human rights clinic in, in, uh, in law schools. So we, we have good relationship with uh, Lewinstein International Human Rights Clinic at Yale. We have good relationship with uh, Columbia uh, Law School Human Rights Clinic. We also have good relationship with Amsterdam University. So usually with, with these clinics, we have the chance uh, to have collaborative work, the experience of Mwapana on the field and on work combines together with the academic expertise of these universities. Usually we join together in a planned project like this report and we work together until we get it done. What does your report teach us about the war in Yemen? that the average person does not necessarily know? So the report uh, has, for example, a section of context. It, it speaks about the context in Yemen. It also speaks about what different warring parties have done in terms of reparation. 
this report also uh, shows how different warring parties in Yemen react to, to the, the civilian uh, suffering. So I guess this report is, is important for, for people who want, um, who want to know about Yemen, who wants to make an impact in Yemen, and is also very important for decision makers uh, to know more about the conduct of warring parties in Yemen. What does your report teach us about international law? Uh, it, it has two main uh, parts, or let's say, yes, two main parts. Part number one, it, it speaks about the responsibilities of state actors uh, in terms of reparations. And it also speaks about the emerging, the emerging obligation of also non-state actors in terms of reparations. What are your report's primary recommendations? What suggestions do you make to the different parties and actors in Yemen's civil war? The main, uh, the main recommendations, the, well, the, there is a whole chapter on, on recommendations and the recommendations are divided into different warring parties and UN bodies and international community. But mainly, for example, for warring parties to investigate on different uh, allegations of uh, violations of IHL and IHRL, uh, provide reparations where necessary, and also hold uh, individual perpetrators accountable where also uh, we have um, Let's say, like, where, where, wherever there was an evidence of their involvement in, in war crimes. Uh, on the international level, it, it gives an, uh, a recommendation of establishing a reparation commission uh, to provide reparations to civilians in Yemen. Compare and contrast the policies of different American presidents in recent memory towards Yemen, George W. Bush, Barack Obama, Donald Trump, and Joe Biden. How are these policies similar and different from each other? And how do they help us understand the situation in Yemen? It's really difficult. And it's also very a shame that uh, we hold... Uh, the United States and its different presidents to high standards of, of human rights. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, the way that... The, but uh, I was really disappointed by how much there was uh, claims made by Joe Biden about the situation in Yemen. And the first thing we had when he become in the White House is losing the, the only independent investigative mechanism in Yemen. So we expected uh, to have a better room for US in, in, in the Yemeni file, but unfortunately, uh, it doesn't seem that, that the impact is very positive. In your perspective, 
should France, the United Kingdom, and the United States be forced to pay for, rec for reparations? What are the obstacles towards holding France, United Kingdom, and United States responsible? I think uh, France, UK, and US have very important roots. First, uh, they can stop fueling the war with arms. Second, they have their uh, relationships and diplomatic pressure that they can impose in Yemen and on countries that are involved in Yemen to stop the, the war. Plus, uh, because they were third parties in the war in Yemen, they're also explicit in different violations that happened in Yemen and they should uh, respect their responsibility uh, to be involved in the right to repair civilians in Yemen. What are the unique challenges involved in holding a non-state actor like Ansar Allah accountable before international law in light of it being a non-state actor? How realistic is it to bring Ansar Allah to justice? There is, there is uh, a law gap that there is a legal gap in the law, in, in the responsibility of non-state actors, but there is also an emerging obligation of non-state actors on reparations. And non-state actors like Ansar Allah, who act like, or who, 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 uh, who fill the place of the government, who control certain geographical area and territories should have more applications. But also for this question, I guess, uh, the students will have a better legal idea or legal opinion. If international law is effective in holding Ansar Allah responsible for atrocities against civilians, what should be the consequences for Iran, its primary sponsor, should reparations be paid by Iran on behalf of Ansar Allah? Should reparations be paid by Iran instead of Ansar Allah? Yes, Iran was 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 involved in the in the, the war in Yemen. Uh, they support Ansar Allah. Uh, there was an ambassador assigned from Iran to Sana'a, and they should also take the responsibility on that. So for Iran, it's also a similar role to the role of US, UK, and France. Uh, they should uh, push for peace. They should have the responsibility on reparations. In your perspective, what is the correct classification of the atrocities committed in Yemen? Should we use the term war crimes? Should we use the term genocide? Should we use the term crimes against humanity? Which of these terms is the most appropriate or the most correct? I think the most correct are uh, war crimes and crimes against humanity. To the extent that you feel comfortable, can you provide some historical context for the current civil war in Yemen? How did Yemen evolve 
from being divided between the Republic of Yemen, North Yemen, and the People's Democratic Republic of Yemen, South Yemen, in regard to the current conflict. How does the legacy of the two Yemens in the in in, in the mm. earlier part of the 20th century help us mm. to understand the present conflict in Yemen? Uh, when speaking about the war the, or the current war in Yemen, uh, we, we, we should start from 2012, where uh, Yemeni people went to the street for uh, for let's say an uprising or a, a revolution, then uh, it ended up with a political solution or an initiative that was made by the, the Gulf countries. The initiative uh, focused on different points. Point number one, to, it's for the, the former president Ali Abdullah Saleh to step down and have his vice president president instead, and then to have two years of transitional period, to have the national Yemeni dialogue, and uh, also to, to grant impunity for, for former President Saleh and, and uh, his regime. Uh, after the uprising and during the, the national dialogue and the transitional, just, uh, and the transitional uh, period, it was very clear that uh, the rule of the government was very weak. There was uh, a group of, uh, let's say, an armed group uh, called Ansar Allah Houthis uh, willing to take power by, uh, by force. Uh, they aligned with former President Saleh. Then in uh, September 2014, they took uh, the capital Sana'a by force, <clears throat> and then uh, President Hadi had to run out to Aden. Uh, Houthis, they didn't stop in Sana'a, they expanded and expanded until they reached Aden, where President Hadi had to flee to Saudi Arabia. After he went to Saudi Arabia, like several days later, there was an announcement of an aerial campaign by Saudi Arabia and nine uh, Arab countries. They call it the, the Arab coalition uh, to regain uh, of Yemen, of president of Yemen. Uh, so the involvement of, of the Arab coalition really escalated the, the the situation in Yemen and the suffering of people. Uh, now, for the South Yemen, North Yemen, uh, this issue was part of the was 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 part of, of the issues of the former regime before 2011, and uh, after the war happened, then this issue went viral and different actors in the war in Yemen tried to, to, to play a role in this conflict. Like, for example, UAA was involved in supporting armed groups in the South who are uh, more loyal to UAA than the government and who see, seeks uh, to, to end uh, 
unification with, with, with the North. But it's like this issue is not the main uh, issue of, of the war. And it's also not an issue of religion, but it's more of an issue of uh, political power. Who will have political power over Yemen? In light of what you were alluding to, in your perspective, what are the obstacles that stand in the way of holding Saudi Arabia and United Arab Emirates to account in regard to the atrocities in Yemen? I'm sorry, I, I'm not sure I fully oh. understood the question. What are the obstacles that are faced as regards holding Saudi Arabia and United Arab Emirates, UAE, accountable for their part in the situation in Yemen? I think most of the obstacles applies to both Yemeni officials, Saudi, UAE, Iranian, and also Houthis. Not Yemen, not Iran, not Saudi, not UAE are part of Rome Statue. So the ICC cannot be active in, 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 in the Yemeni fire. Uh, also, uh, different avenues of, of uh, accountability uh, are, not, are either very weak or cannot be applied to Yemen. For example, there are different mechanisms of UN but they're not very strong. They can't bring justice. They can't hold criminals accountable. And uh, in the same time, there are routes that are, for example, difficult for Yemen, like universal jurisdiction, where uh, there isn't a very big diaspora of Yemen uh, outside Yemen. For example, in European countries where we can exercise universal jurisdiction. But still, in the end, there is, there is a solution for that. Uh, U.S. Security Council can refer the situation in Yemen, even if Yemen is not part of Rome Statue, but the U.S. Security Council can still refer the situation of Yemen to the ICC. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. To the, to the extent that you feel comfortable responding to this question, I was curious to ask you, how does the history of the Yemeni civil war in the 1960s, which involved intervention by Egypt and Saudi Arabia, help us to understand the current conflict? What similarities and differences are there between the civil war in Yemen in the 1960s and the present civil war in Yemen? I think there are similarities, but I think differences might be way bigger. Uh, like for example, uh, Saudi Arabia was not with the Republicans in the 60s, but now it's with the, with the Republicans. So I think uh, part of the 1960s 
conflict is still in the conflict today, but I can also say that the conflict today is one whole of a new conflict. If it's okay to ask you, there are many individuals alluded to in the report that your report describes in regard to the consequences for the conflict on individuals. For example, there's a story on pages 43 and 44 about Ifa. Do you feel comfortable sharing the story of Ifa in regard to how this conflict has hurt individuals? For example, uh, like for, for, for Ifa, uh, like the story was, uh, there was uh, a warehouse where uh, Ansar Allah used to detain uh, immigrants from uh, Africa and um, there was some sort of uh, a dispute between uh, the detainees and the securities, the security of the detention facilities, uh, which led to starting a fire that had a very huge number of civilian casualties. Uh, this case in particular was one of the cases where Ansarullah official claimed that they will take very serious steps on accountability and redress. But unfortunately, based on our field researchers, uh, nothing really happened. Another story that I'd be curious to ask you about is the story of Yasser, who appears on pages 80 and 81 in your report. Do you feel comfortable sharing with us the story of Yasser and how he was personally impacted? Yeah. Well, the story of Yasser, it was a story of uh, a guard who uh, used to uh, to be uh, like a gatekeeper for one of uh, one of the statues in 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 Sanaa. Uh, there was a bomb that uh, hit. Uh, his house and uh, around 11 of, of, uh, of civilians were casualties of, of this incident. Um, <clears throat> unfortunately, like for example, the, 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 the findings of, of uh, the joint uh, incident assessment team of the coalition said that there were uh, Houthi leaders in the area, uh, but they also recommended humanitarian assistance uh, for for victims. But based on our investigations, it doesn't seem uh, um, clear, or let's say it doesn't uh, seem valid uh, to claim that <clears throat> Houthi officials were were present during the, the attack. Another personal story that I'm curious to ask you about is the story of Akbar, which appears on page 128. Do you feel comfortable sharing or paraphrasing the story of Akbar? Yes. So uh, 
أكبر was arbitrary detained uh, in Taiz and uh, he was also tortured uh, for for this case there was a lawyer who followed up on his case and the lawyer reached out to the redress related committee that was established by Ansar Allah uh, then after several follow-ups and written uh, statements from 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 the from the the, the, the lawyer uh, uh, so I, I I can't exactly remember what what happened but but uh, it says like uh, the 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 redress related uh, committee uh, agreed with the allegations that that the, the security agencies uh, made on uh, on Akbar on page ninety four in your report, uh, you write the following. Many of the civilians with whom Mawatana spoke described the direct and indirect physical, social, psychological, and economic costs that they bore as a result of coalition airstrikes, while explaining that money would never make up for the loss of their loved ones. Many emphasized the long-term material impacts of the airstrikes, including the continued need for medical treatment, the loss of housing, and the search for assistance to make up for the loss of a breadwinner's salary that they had depended on. Can you explain further? Can you highlight the economic and financial trauma that families have experienced as a result of the ongoing war? Yeah. Uh, like it, it, it appeared uh, in in different uh, witness statements that, for example, we interview a family member uh, in which they lost uh, a beloved one who was the breadwinner for 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 the family, and because of the attack, they lost their house. So. They, they they have an additional cost of living, which is rent. So they used to have a house, but now they don't have a house and they have to look for rent. An additional cost for living is also treatment. So there are several members of the family who are injured and uh, needs uh, medical care. And in the same time, uh, they lost the person uh, who spent the money for the family. Uh, all of these conditions happened in a country where there, was, there are really huge economical challenges. So it was, it was clear in different uh, witness statements, or let's say in, in different interviews, that reparations are really needed for, for different families to meet uh, these challenges. If, if we return to some of the personal stories that you include in the report, um, do you feel comfortable sharing with us the story of Mohammed, who appears on pages 78 and 79? How has he been impacted and what does that story reveal? 
the story of Muhammad was a story of family that was living uh, in a residential area close to the Ministry of Defense. Uh, so uh, for in, in this incident, uh, 21 of civilians were casualties of this of this case and uh, the, the, the JR, the Joint Incident Assessment Team of the coalition said that they, uh, they, 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 they fired two pumps. One of them uh, hit the Ministry of Defense and the other one had technical issues. So for, for such case, uh, the coalition should be very responsible of adequate prompt and effective reparations. So if they had a mistake in one of the pumps and this mistake made a very significant civilian harm, they should be very active in, in reacting to this case. But unfortunately, Mohammed or his family got no financial, uh, uh, no financial aid or any other form of reparation. Another story, if you feel comfortable to share, is that of Suhaib on page 130. Can you tell us a little bit about Suhaib? Um, yes. So, uh, so Suhaib uh, was one of, of the forcibly disappeared victims. Uh, he was traveling during 2017 looking for a job but his family lost contact with him. Uh, they were afraid that uh, he was detained by Houthis. Um, his father and also the lawyer uh, made a communication with, with the redress-related committee by Ansar Allah. Uh, and they said that we will look into the case and we will see what we can do with security people. But after a year, they, they got no response from the committee. And later on, like after four years of, 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 uh, of his disappearance, uh, they told us that, that, that we, we, we received no communication from the committee, not oral, not written. And uh, we don't know where is Suhaib. Additionally, uh, do you feel comfortable sharing with us the, st the story of Karim and Abdullah on pages 96 and 97? Do you feel comfortable so, sharing a bit about Karim and Abdullah? Yes. So uh, it was a very bloody incident where the coalition uh, dropped the bomb uh, in one of the very uh, populated areas in Sana'a, and uh, eight people were died, and 77 at least were injured. Uh, so for, for, uh, for the coalition and their team who assisted this case, uh, they there was a bomb that landed far away because of a technical problem. But again, uh, they didn't 
did any prompt adequate or uh, effective step uh, to 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 repair uh, the civilian impact and the civilian suffering of of people in this case there's a quote in the report that i'd be curious to ask you about um you write the following on page 71 Mawatana's numbers significantly undercount the direct civilian toll of warring party attacks and abuse in Yemen. Mawatana only includes cases in its count that Mawatana researchers document directly. Given the scale, Mawatana is unable to investigate every report of civilian harm. Mawatana's numbers do not represent the conflict's true toll. Civilians suffer losses as a result of both lawful and unlawful attacks and will often be in need of assistance. But when an international wrong occurs, reparations are owed. All parties to the conflict have repeatedly violated international law in ways that have hurt Yemeni civilians. Indiscriminate and disproportionate attacks have killed and wounded civilians and destroyed civilian homes, vehicles, and other property. Warring parties have committed extrajudicial killings and enforced disappearances and used torture other forms of cr- and, and other forms of cruel, inhuman, and degrading treatment and se- sexual and gender-based violence. They have used widely banned weapons like landmines and cluster munitions, and recruited and used children in writing. Can you explain further, and can you provide some detail and context about this observation? When Muatana documents a case, it means that Muatana visited the the site of of the case, uh, interviewed at least three of victims, family members, eyewitnesses, or and uh, paramedics. Uh, Muatana takes information only through primary sources. We also collect evidence, photographical evidence, like for example, when available, uh, the remnants of the weapon used, uh, death certificates, medical records. So there is a big operational work that Muatana does to document each case, given the the limited number of people working on Muatana, the limited fund that Muatana has, and also Muatana as an NGO, the mandate of, of Muatana as an NGO, we cannot document everything that happens in Yemen. So what we have of numbers are the numbers that we were able to document, but it doesn't necessarily reflect what everything happened in Yemen. So if we say that we have documented 800 cases of airstrikes, it doesn't mean that only 800 cases of of unlawful airstrikes happened in Yemen, but it means that Muatana were able to document this number of cases and the number of total cases might be higher. Another quotation I'd be curious to ask you about is on page 152. 
uh, you write as follows, and this is in your conclusion. The Saudi-UAE-led coalition, the internationally recognized government of Yemen, Ansar Allah, and other warring parties have taken lives, devastated families, wrecked cities, ruined agricultural land, and unsettled the future of millions across the country. The warring parties continue to do so. The call for reparations is a call for justice for the millions of civilian lives lost, ruined, and disrupted during the ongoing conflict. The costs of war should not fall on those who do not participate in hostilities. The people of Yemen have a legal and moral right to have the harms done to them repaired by those who caused these harms. The warring parties in Yemen have a legal and moral responsibility to provide these reparations. Nearly eight years after the conflict began, no warring party has fulfilled this responsibility. This report has sought to draw attention to both the right of civilians to receive reparations and the obligation of the warring parties to provide these reparations. It remains to be seen whether those with power and influence from other states to global society will stand with the Yemeni civilians struggling to see their right to reparation realized. This is page 152. Can you say more about what that passage is trying to say? And can you uh, clarify the meaning of that passage? Yeah. So different warring parties in Yemen have made very huge civilian suffering to people in Yemen. Um, many families have, have lost beloved ones. They lost their source of income or they, they had their house destroyed or their farm destroyed. So everybody in Yemen is suffering from this war, either directly or indirectly. All of those people who are suffering are not the people who can stop the war, but people who, are, who can stop the war but choose not to stop the war and continue the war are not paying for this suffering. They don't want even to pay reparations or to hold those individuals responsible of these accountable. This is totally not fair. So people who had no say on ending the war should not be the people who pay for this war. And uh, warring parties should fulfill and realize uh, the, the, the right of those people to reparations. If you feel comfortable, I would like to ask you briefly about some other personal stories in the report um, on okay. pages 144. Sorry, I guess I have to go after three minutes. Okay. Um, okay, sorry. Okay, thank you. Um, firstly, can you tell us about Abdul Khalik, Harith, Akram, and Taufik? Uh, they're presented on pages 144 and 145. Yes. So Abdul Khalik, Harith, Akram, and Taufik were uh, part of, of a group of nine journalists who were detained by Ansar Allah in 2015. 
when they were detained, they used to work to different outlets, but some of these outlets were affiliated with Islah uh, polit- political uh, party, and they were working together in a room because there was no electricity and it was not easy to access internet. So they were working t- together, having a generator to provide them with electricity. So uh, they were detained by Ansarullah and uh, they were, or let's say some of them were also subject to, to uh, beating and torture. Uh, so several Ansar Allah officials have uh, promised to release those uh, uh, journalists, but unfortunately this didn't happen until uh, some of them were, 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 were released in prisoners' exchange, but uh, the four who remain, which are Khalid Harith, Akram, and Tawfiq, are still uh, in detention, <coughs> and they are uh, they are also subject to possible ex- extrajudicial uh, killing. As we bring our dialogue to a close, the last question I'd like to ask you is: What is Mawatana working on next as your subsequent project? What are you working on now? as your current work for a future report within Muatana? Mm. We are working on different reports currently. We are working on a report on civilian presumption. What law have said uh, about presuming civilian status <clears throat> and what warring parties actually did uh, on that? So. Did warring parties in Yemen presume when, whenever they have doubt about an object that it is a civilian object, or whenever they have a doubt, they tend to, to, to deal with it as a legitimate target? So this is one report. Another report is on violations against immigrants. <clears throat> Plus, um, Muapana is working on, on building different case files for legal actions. To our listeners, uh, I'm your host, Ari Barbalat. Uh, I've been blessed to be in dialogue today with Ali Jamil. He is the Accountability and Redress Director at Mawatna for Human Rights, based in Sana'a, Yemen. We have been discussing the new report that Mawatna has recently published called Returned to Zero, The Case for Reparations to Civilians in Yemen. For those who would like to learn more, I invite you to go to the website of Mawatana, which is mawatana.org, M-W-A-T-A-N-A.org. If you would like to read the report in full, please visit the following websites mawatana.org m-w-a-t-a-n-a dot o-r-g slash e-n slash z-e-r-o zero Ali, it was an honor 
And I'm so thankful for everything you shared with us today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.